Ozzert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. Welcome to the Ulster Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana. And for this episode, I'm joined by Alex Tilly from SecureWorks, where we talk about his life of crime. Well, his life combating cybercrime. A particularly interesting topic, given the recent attacks at Optus, Medibank and VinoMofo this month. And back to the fray, I welcome my co-host, Beck, who chats with Mark Carey-Smith about what's happening at Ozzert. Uh, I'm joined today by Alex Tilly from SecureWorks. How are you doing today? Really great. So you're involved in cybercrime. I mean, that's been a long-term career thing for you, working in different industries. Can you talk a little bit about where you've come from before we get to where you're going next? I started out at online casinos, funnily enough, you know, yeah, in, in Australia. And then I was in banking for many, many years. And I thought it, I sort of... I like to think that I sort of I started in the sort of anti cybercrime stuff at the same time as the real cybercrime started to happen. So I sort of have grown up at the same time as the crooks have grown up. So I've sort of seen the the evolution of these things happen. And then yeah, spent almost a decade with the AFP in cybercrime operations, doing breaches and trial protection work and all that sort of mucky stuff. So really, all I know is the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really interesting because you've grown up with the bad guys, you said. So did that mean you used to wear a hoodie as well and sit over in a darkened room in front of a green screen? And now you don't because they don't anymore as well. Yeah, yeah. We've all got nice, nicer cars these days, right? <laughs> that's interesting because you've seen that progress in cybercrime. Can you talk about what have been some of the, the macro changes that you've seen over that time in the way cybercrime has worked? The hardest part of cybercrime is getting money in your back pocket. Right. So it's really easy to get access to money. It's really easy to steal money, be it through credit cards or these days, Bitcoin wallets and all that sort of stuff. It's very easy to do that stuff. But the hardest bit is getting it in the back pocket so you can go and spend it on these nice cars or whatever. So I think really the evolution of the the connection between cyber criminals really getting to a point in their criminality where they're making enough money and they're causing enough of a stir to, to link up with really traditional money laundering syndicates around the world. That's been one of the biggest evolutions that I've seen. It's been it's sort of, that's that, you, where, where the criminals can sort of say, well, I haven't got to just worry about cashing out 50 grand now because I've got this unlimited pipeline of cash. It now, the, the problem now becomes how much money can I shove down this pipeline to get out the other end? So that's where we've sort of seen that evolution through, you know, basic fishing at like 500 bucks through to now where it's like, or maybe five, six years ago with things like Game Over Zeus and Die, which were basically malware platforms that they were attacking business banking and wealth management funds because they just had, we can get the money out no matter how much we can get. So let's just shovel it through, right? So really that was, it's, it's, a, it's a money game. So is that the big challenge for the bad guys now is it's not about getting access to money. It's about getting access to usable money. Yeah. And that, and that, that, that that's been, it's, it's been ever thus for a long time. So... I think what's happening now, though, is the shift. Well, what has happened is the shift towards ransomware and Bitcoin and you know, cryptocurrencies, because that's unfortunately, well, we were historically, a lot of people, businesses were able to say, well, the banks will take care of this, right? Because the banks invested heavily in security, invested heavily in fraud controls, invested very heavily in securing your money, which was their money, you know, if you think of it that way. And I think over the years, we've seen the criminals bashing heads with the banks and with various detection capabilities and defense mechanisms and now the the smart crooks have gone well you know what let's just take the banks out of the equation and the problem of getting that money through that money laundering network 
let's just take that out of the equation and use Bitcoin now or use you know, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. So it's it's gone from a arm's length, someone else will take care of that problem to a very much, this is my problem now to deal with. And that's hard. So, I mean, one of the, the last couple of years have changed work for everybody. Obviously, work from home is a bigger thing now. I mean, has that happened with... Um, organized crime as well have they seen that cyber crime is now the new work from home yeah I, I think definitely i think especially around ransomware and I, I do you know hate to keep bringing out ransomware but it really is not going away and that's definitely where crooks have gone this works this business model works really well and this business business model is not hard you know it's like it's not hard to hack a computer you know this model works pretty well so i can now just make all this money simply and easily you know, and you see the advent of things like ransomware as a service, where you have these syndicates now where not everyone's involved at the higher level of the organization. A lot of people are just running around like sort of street level dealers, if you think of it from a drug point of view, where it's just these street level hackers running around who just hack businesses and then, you know, the money funnel funnels up. So I think that infrastructure and those structures are in place and they're really working well. So I don't think they're going anywhere. That's interesting because when we start talking about it in terms like the drug trade, people kind of forget that now, I think there was research that recently came from Juniper Networks and they've said international drug trade is now smaller than the international cyber crime trade yeah. you know, in terms of raw dollars. So It's, it's wild, right? It's, and it, cyber would strike me as being far less risky oh, and so for the bad guys. Brilliantly put. It's, and that, that's always been the problem. The thing we always used to talk about was, you know, when I was back in law enforcement, you lock up a few of these hacker kids and what you know? Who do they come friends with in Long Bay? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's very, very basic level there. But it's like, if they become friends with the wrong people, it's like, wait, you made how much money, and for how long, and you didn't have to put any drugs in a bathtub? Wait a minute, you know. And I, I think that genuinely is what's is what's coming out now. It's like, mm. well, the risk is so much lower to mm. the crooks, and the reward is. Just as much, if not more, as you're saying. It's like you're outlining the '90s movie Sneakers. Well, ba- basically, it's like Ben yeah. Kingsley goes to prison as a as, yeah. a as a computer guy and comes out as the mafia's money launderer. Basically, that that was always the fear, right? And you know, and you, we would try to not, you know, go after the the really young ones because of that fear, right? You try and do more of a sort of an organised, higher level criminal. Yeah. So, with that escalation that we've seen happen, I mean, we don't expect to win, do we? Do we expect to win the war on drugs? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've gone the other way now. We've kind of said, well, we can't win the war on drugs, so let's just make it legal. You know, yeah. that's increasingly happening. But we still see cybercrime as a war that we think we can win. Yeah. Is it is it a winnable war or does it not does, is that actually just a dumb thing to look for? How does that kind of all come together? I mean, use the term industry for, you know, cyber security as it were and and all the, you know, ancillary industries around us. We do have a fair bit of, I want to say hubris around, well, we're all so smart and we're all so well-funded and we're all so, you know, you know, aggressive and looking into these things. And, you know, we, we became used to things like botnet takedowns and we became used to sometimes high-profile arrests and that sort of stuff. I think there definitely was an underlying current of, well, we'll, we'll keep winning. We're going to keep winning this thing. And it's like, well... You look at it and you go, well, why do we think we should win this? I genuinely believe we need to keep doing it and we need to keep having wins and having an impact and we can. But I just think, yeah, as, as you said, I don't, I don't think we can ever win the war on drugs. We can never win the war on, you know, the illegal arms trade. These are things that are just part of life, you know, unfortunately. And I believe cybercrime is very much similar. It's, it's an established business now that has a really well-trodden path and well-written playbooks of how to make money. And we're just going to keep reacting to it as we always have. 
there's the fact that when there's a big drug arrest, we see it on the news. It's like, you know, we have 12 policemen looking very important, standing in front of a container that's with a partially cracked open door and some weird looking packages hiding in the background and someone standing there saying, this is, you know, $80 million worth of, or $300 million worth of stuff that is no longer on the streets and whatever. But if they do it to a cybercrime, it's like, it's a guy in a hoodie with a laptop. It's not nearly as compelling a story. Do you think that impacts the way we think about cybercrime and we kind of diminish its importance or its impact on society? you've, You've hit the nail right in the head there. It's actually pretty funny. So we used to have a joke that, with cybercrime, this is back when I was in law enforcement, with cybercrime, there's never a table full of white powder with guys with earpieces standing behind it with their arms crossed. And it's like, we would be doing these jobs and we thought they were good jobs. They were good jobs. We thought they were having an impact. But yeah, you would ne- you would always have that in the back of your mind is there's never going to be a table of white powder with those blokes. And it yeah. was just like, oh, okay, it's not, not going to be cool or sexy. You know, I think more and more people who are becoming affected by it are starting to care about it. And more and more people who know someone who's been affected by it are starting to care about it. It's, it's very intangible. And I think it's very hard for things like media to report on. So, you know, if I use the term sort of like broad media to, you know, the Channel 9 News, for instance, it's hard for them to report on it because there's nothing to show. That's where you get those, you know, the stock footage of the matrix numbers and the guys at the hoodies. You know, that's that sort of stuff because that's what people understand about cybercrime. But it's very intangible until it happens to you. I guess that's one of the challenges because it's happening with ones and zeros on anonymous hard drives and ephemeral containers and all that sort of stuff that's out there in the middle of, you know, the cyber world, which we can't see or touch or whatever. That's the That's the bit that kind of makes it hard for people to go, why should I care? I think that's why things like the scams are, start, are starting to get some more traction. You know, like everyone's getting those phone calls now and the texts and all that sort of stuff. So that's starting to get some traction because people can understand that in their own lives. Mm. But, you know, yeah, some some dude hacks a database of a company in Zurich. What does that mean to me? Why does that mm. matter to me? And that's not unfair, mm. you know? Yeah, and I guess people don't realise that particularly if you look at the world of finance, it's a highly connected ecosystem. So when that bank in Zurich does get hit, it affects the insurance costs for every single bank in the world. And every single bank in the world, fees go up by some... It might feel like a small amount, but over time, you know, small amounts all accumulate. We know that from Superman 4 when the guy pinched the one cent out of everyone's accounts. You know, it accumulates like that. Yeah, yeah. And it does become significant for all of us socially. And economically. Definitely. And it's one of those macro things that happens over time and you just don't quite notice it until, you know, you boil the frog, right? <laughs> you just don't notice it. Yeah. So we, we tend to think of cybercrime being very different to other crime. If you had the wand to, to wave, what would you do to kind of change that perception that's out there? Wow. I think... It would be, you know, genuinely... It, do we just need to hack everyone and take a hundred bucks out of every bank account for them well, to realise this is a thing? Yeah, I mean, it's... So, like, I won't go into, into too much mucky detail, but I did a, a matter up in Queensland, actually, a few years ago, many years ago now, actually. And it was a... Uh, basically, it was a person used a Trojan to hack a girl's computer and turn on a webcam, this this whole, you know, you, you can imagine. I remember sitting in the in the witness box as, as they were playing the, this particular video and the floods of tears that the jury got into, I was like, these people now understand how serious this stuff is. And that's not a financial crime. That's This is obviously something very different. But that impact of just because it's on a computer doesn't mean there's not a person involved mm. or an impact. And I think I would not wish that on anybody, that, that particular experience of being mm. in that courtroom or being that, that the, the poor victim. But 
the impact of seeing that just because it's yeah because there are people involved in some of this stuff really did help I think people understand that this this is a quite a serious matter and I think financial crime does have an impact when it's your life savings go or when it's your superannuation gets impacted so I think maybe yeah having a bit of impact you know, pick what's it, what's it, the decimate one in ten people, right? And you say one in ten people loses are half you, their life savings. Are you savings. advocating that Cyber gets Thanos? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. One in ten people loses half their life savings, and, and they will all get the problem. Yeah. Um, I think, but yeah, I there genuinely is that that need to understand that, that there is a real impact to these things, be it financial or otherwise. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I've seen firsthand, like personally, had an identity theft issue not yeah. that long ago, which was. And actually quite difficult to deal with. Like administratively, the administrative processes of government agencies and others actually really struggle to deal with these and do something about them. Yeah. So, you know, and, I'd be, and I'm pretty conscious of my security footprint given the people I talk to and the places I hang around at. Yeah. But it is that thing where, like for grandmas or for, you know, people that don't work within the technology world to actually understand that their everyday activity does leave a footprint that bad guys can potentially exploit. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I think the the other side of that same coin is people not understanding the amount of this that goes on that is successful. Especially you know, you get those that we talk about the, the scam calls and you know grandma or whatever like that. The reason why there's so many of those scam calls going around is because they work. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's why I've said over and over again: crooks don't keep doing something unless it's making them money. So the fact that there's more and more of it happening yeah. means they're making more and more money out of it. So we can't just sit there and go, oh, it's, just, it's only idiots get it who are falling for those things. It's like, yeah. well, it's idiots, but it's also your and grandma. Like, yeah, exactly. So I think, And it's yeah. the Nigerian prince thing, isn't it? Mm. I mean, the, the reason the Nigerian prince thing keeps coming up is because the Nigerian prince thing keeps working. Right. Or variant, variants of it. Yeah, and people are like, oh, why don't they just go away? Can't they just stop it and rah, rah, It's so stupid. It's never going to work. It's, you don't, you it don't understand. <laughs> it works. Yeah. You send 100 million emails out. Two have to work. Right. And it's, exactly. worth, it's worth the cost. Yeah. So we often talk about trying to win this. You know, it, I mean, we're talking about an arms race effectively is where, you know, we get a bigger stick or we get a, you know, we get a new defense and the bad guys go, right, they go off and squirrel away for weeks or months and then they come back and find new vulnerabilities and new tools that they escalate above that. Yeah. And then we develop new defenses against their new attack things. So we have this escalation that goes on on both sides. Is there a point that we, is that just what we're going to just see forever? Is that the thing that we're going to just see, you know, is the next 20 years of our cyber careers going to be, you know, you know playing whack-a-mole? I hope not, but I, I suspect maybe. <laughs> I, I think what we're seeing now with the shifting towards, you know, ransomware and cryptocurrency and that sort of stuff, we're taking the banks out of the equation. They've done their job out securing their money and our money and all that sort of stuff. And I think by taking them out of the equation, it really has sort of shown to criminals, we, we can do this by just going direct one-to-one and basically mugging people. But we can we can mug people for a lot of money. Hmm. And so I think, yeah, like I always mix my metaphors that the horse is bolted and the blood's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's definitely one of those things that's going to be here for here to stay. And, and that's interesting because when we talk about someone getting mugged, it's the wallet. Yeah. And But if someone gets digitally mugged, mm. it's... Their life savings, their, their life superannuation, savings. it could be everything. Yeah. And their the future, future. their future credit, their future home loans. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild. We're on the cusp of a fairly significant shift in computing in general. Like we're, 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 we're not far from moving away from the binary world into the quantum world. Yeah. What if the bad guys got quant- 
got the quantum before the good guys. <laughs> you know, because they hack a university and they've yeah. got enough smart guys, you know, smart people around. Where And they've already infiltrated the university because they've got the researcher either by blackmail or by good offer. Yeah. You know, helping them. You know, what's... Is, is that like a... Is that like the nuclear scenario? It's an interesting one. I, I, I think they'd have to find a reason to monetize it that they couldn't already do. Yeah, but once you've got quantum, you own encryption. You own encryption, but you can also, you can already make $10 million just by, well, using current encryption stuff. So mm. I think the, the methodology to try and then, even if you think about like decrypting stream data and that sort of stuff, uh, I don't know, man. I think... There's methodologies to do crime that have that are well trodden and well proven that work. It would I'd have to spend a bit of time thinking about. So do you reckon they the bad guys are like let's go for the low hanging fruit and as they run out of low hanging fruit or we trim those branches they go for the next low hanging yeah. fruit and quantum so far up the tree that we don't have to genuinely, think about it just yet. Yeah, genuinely, it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 yeah yeah, yeah I'm I'm making money here. I'll just make money here. Hmm. Maybe, as you say, one more step above. But to, to get to the top of the tree, there's a lot of money between here and there that I can already yeah. make. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> like mining. Like the, the, the gold on the surface exactly. is, way, is way easier to get than the gold that's, you know, 20 feet down. Yeah. And that's way easier than the gold that's 50 feet down or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. So thanks for all of that. Last question for you. We're asking everyone on the podcast this season to answer is... Can you talk to us about maybe are there do you have any cybersecurity superheroes or particular mentors or leaders or people that have guided you in your career that have been super influential? It's genuinely funny that, that you mentioned sneakers up the top. You're not going to say Robert Redford. I, <laughs> Robert Redford and Dan Aykroyd in sneakers. I I remember watching that movie when I was a kid. So my dad was in sort of he, he was started out in broadcasting, but then he went into like satellite engineering. And so he was, we'd always been tinkering with computers and stuff from, you know, 10 TRS-80, you know, 286 and whatever. But then I watched sneakers with him and I was like, that looks kind of fun. That's, that's a very interesting lifestyle. And then sort of, I never did pen testing as a job. I always sort of, I sort of fell into the more defensive side of things. But I genuinely, that, that movie made me think this stuff's kind of cool. You know, I remember using like freaking with phones with base boxes and stuff like that and going, this is kind of fun. You know, I can just clip into this and I can do this sort of stuff. So maybe that movie, but then I, I think genuinely also, and it's not a great, it's, 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 it's not very interesting, but Dr. Karl Krasinitsky, listening to him when I was sort of a young, young man sort of growing up and sort of understanding that the, the, that sort of curiosity hmm. and sort of that you're always learning and wanting to know more. And there's always a way to sort of expand your knowledge and be curious. And I sort of never lost that. I sort of always was just, how does it work? Can I pull it apart? And I, I sort of, Pivoted that in, into my, you know, law enforcement and, you know, cybercrime career, which is like, well, how does this crime work? How do I understand how this syndicate hangs together? Because it sort of gives me the fizz to figure out how these syndicates and the, the, these crimes sort of hang together. I find it fascinating. So you've answered this in a completely unique way by nominating a movie as your superhero. <laughs> I thought you were going to go back a little bit further and say War Games, because, but that's, that's probably just for the generation a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clifford Stroll as well, Cookie's Egg. That was a f- fantastic book. But then I think... And I'm glad to say that you haven't gone for Sandra Bullock in The Net. <laughs> the Net. <laughs> that was a hell of a movie in the, in the, back in the day. Oh, Lord. But yeah, no, I... I yeah, I... As far as just, yeah, understanding how things work, it would be pro Dr. Carl. In the industry, there are, you know, certain people that I've sort of grown up with, 
sort of reading blogs and that sort of stuff. Some of them have gone in strange directions recently, which I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I won't name names on those in the case, but it's like, you know, people grow up and change in their views and their, the way they work. And I think this industry, which is the only industry that I really know intimately, has some really interesting characters in it. So I do like to sort of observe from the sidelines and watch how people sort of grow and change and what they get involved in. I find it fascinating. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Alex. No worries. Thank you. And now it's over to Beck and Mark. Thank you so much, Anthony. And thanks, Alex. Really excited to have Alex on the podcast. I very much consider Alex a friend of AusCert, been working with him for many years throughout the conference in AusCert as an organisation. So really appreciate him giving his time. Today, I'm joined by the lovely Mark Carey-Smith, Principal Analyst at AusCert. How are you this afternoon? I'm great. Some really interesting topics in there and, you know, very timely, I think, at the moment. No, not going to be breaking any news here that there's been some pretty high-profile breaches in the last few weeks. We are very much in the fatigue stage of major breaches, I think, in this industry. So, yes, between Optus and Medibank, I think there's a lot of people on high alert and fatigue there. The thing that, that struck me listening to that interview was some of the discussion that Alex and Anthony were having regarding the intangible nature of cybersecurity risk or threats, I should say, and how for a lot of people, it's when they become personally a victim or a close family friend or a family member has become a victim that then it becomes really meaningful. And I think what we've seen in the last few weeks here in late October at the time of recording is as a result of the Optus breach and the Medibank private breach, the mainstream media is reporting cybersecurity breaches like this as something that ordinary people, for want of a better term, need to be aware of, that everybody needs to be aware of. Because if the mainstream media reports it, maybe it's important. Oh, there must be something really happening, yes. Yes. So I think that could well be, and it's too early to say, but it might be a bit of a tipping point in terms of Australian public consciousness of the of the relevance of cybersecurity threats and how they could be personally impacted. And of course, that sort of perception of personal threat is more likely to drive behaviour change than simply being aware of something. I've definitely seen a change in, you know, friends or family or, or just even groups I'm in on social media and that conversation has become very mainstream. So I call that a very good crisis you need that people are having some level of understanding about what's happening and what personal data means. The part I think I find it fascinating though is, you know, some people are still very much like, oh, well, what can they do with a license number? That doesn't mean anything. I think particularly, you know, for us that are so strongly advocating for awareness, it's great to see some level of awareness, but what are we going to do about making sure that people are understanding what personal data is and what that, you know, obviously our role's not done yet. You know, while we've got people on board, making sure they understand the actual meaning and, and and value of it is another thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And also understanding what people can do personally. So, you know, one of the things we always bang on about in cybersecurity is that everybody needs to be responsible for cybersecurity. But what's that, what's that Everyone's mean? Everyone's business, <laughs> yes. Exactly. What's that mean in terms of actions that people can take to protect themselves and the organisations they work for and their family members? So... I think that's where the difference is between just being aware of something because awareness doesn't mean you care and actually having some practical steps to reduce your digital data footprint or to reduce your personal vulnerability through, you know, it might be something as simple as enabling automatic updates on the devices that people manage themselves 
And that's something that, you know, when we do information security awareness training at OSCER, that we always try hard to ensure we're not just raising fears, but we're identifying threats and then giving people practical advice that they can implement themselves or help their family members implement to address those threats. You can't just raise, I mean, one of the things about fear appeals in cybersecurity is they're extremely common. They can be really over the top for some vendors, the way that they market their products. But if you only make people afraid without giving them clear actions, you're not really helping anything. And in some cases, it's, it's counterproductive. That's a really good point. I guess that's a, an interesting segue into, I know we do do some awareness training at OSERT. And while I think a lot of our members are aware that we can do, you know, our one day training courses for them, you know, the InfoSec for IT professionals, our risk management, those sorts of trainings, we can also do awareness training and it is very much tailored to industry and to the audience and delivered by human, quite often yourself. Um, do you want to just have a quick you know, overview of that and, and I guess the benefit of doing it in that way rather than the, the tick and flick kind of awareness that a lot of organisations are doing? Yeah, so like many listeners, I've had plenty of experiences doing mandatory online cybersecurity training and often it's not terribly impactful and doesn't really change people's behaviour. It's more of a compliance checkbox. Not it does in all tick cases. a box. It does tick a box. I think it's getting better. It's definitely getting better than what it was years ago. But, look, I'm biased, but personally I think having had a lot of experience both in the higher education sector and in the industry training people and doing cybersecurity awareness training, there's nothing like face-to-face. Even if face-to-face is delivered by a video conferencing platform, you just don't get the same level of interaction with an online platform. And... You can't get those really important questions that people want to ask and contributing their point of view. Those are the things that are really, really useful and I think valuable when doing that kind of awareness training for everybody, not just technical specialists. So it's really it's really interesting and rewarding work and it's something that I think can can you can get a big ripple effect if you can get awareness spreading through an organisation in such a way that it helps them understand their personal, not just responsibility, but what they can practically do to help things. It does land into that method of people learning in different ways as well, right? You know, it's a good reinforcement, like have your, your, your surveys online or the online training, but to follow through with that side of things is a really great way to balance it out too. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, everybody works, everybody learns in slightly different ways, but one thing, you, if you don't get engagement, you don't get learning. So by having online quizzes and little exercises and I do a little exercise with my awareness training for for all people where I get people to try and pretend that they're an attacker, one group to pretend they're an attacker and one group to defend to pretend they're a defender and then they have to figure out ways to attack each other and that puts people in an interesting mindset of not just thinking about this problem from a theoretical perspective but what could I actually do to protect myself against say someone using social media to trash my reputation so that's always really engaging and people love it the the things they come up with are amazing sometimes really tangible yeah and creative some of the some of them (laughs) sometimes people will come up with ways to trash somebody's reputation that i've never even thought about so new coffee table book coming soon (laughs) yeah exactly awesome all right 
I think that's enough from us today. Thank you so much for joining me, Mark, and we'll see what brings us next month. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the AusCert podcast. Thanks to Alex Tilley and to Beck and Mark. We'll be back next month with another episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.